awakening out there, meaning in the country, in the city, in the neighborhood, the workplace, the school, uh, there needs to first be a revival in here. Here's what I promise you. The prayer of needing a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, a fresh move of the Holy Spirit, I promise you, if you want the Holy Spirit to move, He will interrupt you. He will interrupt with disregard for your plan and your schedule. And so what if the moment that we find ourselves in collectively, what if it is an invitation for actually the Spirit to move us deeper into the purposes of God? And what if some of us are choosing a different direction, even those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ? It's the heart of what we want to get into in this parable today, and it starts with a gift, a question, a gift, a warning, and a reminder. The question is, of course, every time you go through a parable, you should be asking yourself, who am I? Who am I in this story? What resonates with me? And a quick tip. You're never Jesus in any story, okay? <laughs> Jesus is always Jesus, you're not. Sometimes as Christians, you're like, well, I'm, I'm the Jesus in this story. Never. You're never Jesus. Jesus doesn't need you. He is sufficient inside of himself. Yet we are often different individuals within the story that we have to look at. So who am I in the story? The gift, of course, as Pastor Lori shared last week, is Jesus taught with parables that the, he taught in parables to open our curiosity, our hearts, our ears, and our eyes so that he can heal us, not harm us. Everyone say, not harm. Not harm. Not harm. Even though sometimes correctly identifying who we are in a story stings. They can hurt. But his heart is never to harm us. It is only to heal us. If he takes something away, it's not so that you could go without it's so that you can trust deeper within. It's different. So the warning would be two critical errors. First, don't ever assume that there are hidden messages in the parables that you can just make them say whatever you want them to say. Christians all throughout history have gotten to big danger making the scriptures say what we want them to say. Don't do that. The Bible is inerrant, yes, but we as his followers make lots of mistakes when quoting it. So let's be confident in Christ, but also careful with his word. Deal? Don't make it say what you want it to say. It says what it says in context, even if you don't like it. It still says what it says. Reminder, the devil quotes the Bible, but he always does so for fallen purposes. I'm not impressed with anybody who can quote the Bible because the devil could quote the Bible better than any of us. Doesn't impress me. Jesus only quotes the scriptures because he is the word became flesh, but he does so only and always to honor his Father. And the enemy quotes the Scriptures, but never in honor of God. So that's a couple, couple little things as we dig in. Now let's really dive into the parable. Today is a two-part parable, and it's only found in the book of Matthew, and Jesus is sharing it with his disciples. So he's not talking to Pharisees, nor is he talking to the crowd. How many know it's important to figure out who he's talking to? Like if I eavesdrop on your conversation, who you're talking to is really important for me to understand because we talk differently to different people. At work, how may I help you? <laughs> At home, excuse me? <laughs> we talk differently to different people. So Jesus is talking to his disciples. 
In the story, you're going to hear this word denarius. It simply means a day's wages. So whatever you make in a day, that's what you're going to get. It talks about employed. Employed is not this. Of all the jobs that I could do, which one am I going to select? That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is talking about here in employment is there are individuals who are destitute. They are bankrupt. They have no ability in and of themselves, but by the kindness of the invitation of the one who owns the vineyard to work in the vineyard. So it's not which one do I choose. They have no ability to help on their own and the landowner invites them in and gives them employment. That's a context important. And this parable follows a real life story of interaction that Jesus has with someone that we only know as the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler was also given an invitation from Jesus that, to follow me. And if you know the story, and if you don't, I'll catch you up. There was an individual, all we know about him is he was rich, he was young, and he had some type of position or authority. That's all we know. And Jesus gives him a 1 in 13 invitation. Did you hear me? That at that moment, at that time, 12 people were followers of Jesus. And Jesus extends an invitation to this guy to follow him. 1 in 13. That's it. In the whole world at the moment to follow Jesus. And he chooses his possessions and his stuff over following Jesus. And as he walks away sad because Jesus says, absolutely, Eternal life, you got all of that right. One thing you lack is all of this stuff. I want you to sell it, and I want you to give it to the poor, and then I want you to come follow me. Jesus didn't say that again to harm him, but to heal him. Because his stuff was his God. Oh, Jesus knows your idol. And he has no problems giving it a little flick. And when he does, it gets a response in us. And this is what happens in this moment. It says that the rich young ruler walks away with this heart, and we're going to see it in a moment. Hold him. You can imagine, as Jesus tells this rich young ruler, follow me, sell all your stuff, that those who have less stuff than him are like, yeah, tax the rich. Give it to the rich. And then Jesus turns around and tells this story because the true problem is not merely economic, it's a heart problem. That touches our economics but first must touch our hearts. So Jesus says this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning, about 6 a.m., to hire laborers for his vineyard. His vineyard. Whose vineyard? There you go. After agreeing, so important, after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. After agreeing... And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went out. Going out again about the sixth hour, the ninth hour, he did the same. And then about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said, because no one's hired us. Not because they were lazy. Because no one's hired us. We are, we're bankrupt. We're destitute. There's nothing we can do to change our position but your graciousness, graciousness to our lives. No one's hired us. He said, then you go into the vineyard too. Everything is fine in the story at this point. At this point, And now something enters the story which is in my story and your story. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning, Jesus says, with the last up to the first. Remember, Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's not like the kingdom of earth. It's not always fair. Beginning with the last up to the first. And when those who hired about the 11th hour came and each of them received a denarius, now when those who were hired first, here's the word, here's the phrase, here's the trap. Those who were hired first, who just previous to this day were destitute, had nothing, and were absolutely bankrupt, are now working. They agreed to the denarius. They thought they would receive more. Oh. Oh. They thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, (laughs) they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and yet you have made them equal to us. And we have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am, here's a question from God to us. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first, last. The core issue in this parable is summed up in three words. Let's see if you can finish it with me. That's not Oh, we're already there. You're already there. Online, I want you to type it with angry keys. That's not fair. That's not fair. Now, Jesus isn't saying that life will only and ever and always be fair because that's a fairy tale. It's not true. He's not saying that. Nor is Jesus saying that life sometimes doesn't treat us fairly. He's not saying that. In fact, the very one in the story who's telling the story experiences from humanity the most unfair treatment of all. He who knew new sin became sin. He who did no wrong is going to be executed like a common criminal. That's not fair. So Jesus isn't saying all those things. Let me ask you a question. When you die, when you die, would you like this to be said of you? When you die, At your eulogy, someone will come here and they will say, they had $10,947 in their bank account. (laughs) They were in overdraft. (laughs) They had $3,947 in their bank account. 
Would you like that set of you? Or would you like it set of you something else? Why do I say that? Because before Jesus told this parable about those who were destitute, he told the parable of a rich young ruler. And you know all we know about the rich young ruler? His bank account. That's it. We know nothing else about him. But the people in the scriptures that we're going to talk about in a moment, like Peter and Matthew, we know the work of God in them, the work of God through them. We know everything that God did, good, bad, and ugly, every mistake. Loved ones, be careful what you fix your eyes upon as the key anchor of your soul. This rich young ruler was invited to be one of the 13. There was 12 followers of Jesus, and he said, you follow me. But he traded everything of purpose for bank account. Because when Jesus said, sell all you have, he said, that's not, that's not fair. It's not fair. It costs too much to follow you. I'm not gonna do it. In the parable that we're looking at, everything is fine, when they are called graciously into the vineyard, they are promised a denarius and it's more than they've ever had and they couldn't have it any other way. And there they are and everything's fine until the landowner does in their eyes what is unfair. When he begins to call people at different hours of the day and he gives to them equally and then it rises in them, that ain't fair. Some worked all day, others a single hour, yet each receives the same wage. After all, shouldn't everyone get paid what they, here's the word, deserve? And hold that word, deserve, because wherever deserve develops in our hearts, it always leads us. Deserve will always lead you. Not always where you want to go, but it will always lead us nonetheless. I don't deserve this. I deserve more. Lord, we deserve better. I deserve better than you're giving me. I deserve better. We deserve better. I am a better parent than my kids are giving me. Hypothetical. <laughs> Hypothetical. In this marriage, I deserve more than you're giving me. Tell the person beside you, say, stay away from that now, please. <laughs> In this church, we deserve more, deserve more, deserve more, deserve more. We deserve a better government. Some of you, amen. No, no, don't do that, don't do that. No, every one of you, prayer after, your hearts are in the wrong spot. Genuinely, prayer after. That was a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Deserve will always rob you of your purpose in God and tie you to an inferior story. Because here's God's heart. When life isn't fair, God is promising you freedom. So don't get stuck staring at fair when there's something greater for you. There's something better than fair. Again, it's not as though God is ignorant of these things. He is a God of holiness, he is a God of love, and he is also a God who is just, who promises to make all things new. 
He cares about these things. He's not ignorant of these things. He just doesn't want you and I to root our hearts in inferior sources. And here's what's true. If it isn't Jesus, it's not ultimate. So many of us as followers of Christ are anchoring into inferior powers and authorities because we are believing in them for small s salvation when we have capital S salvation. What a ripoff and a trade-off. And we're doing it on the right and we're doing it on the left equally, both promising freedom in different places. And Jesus is not this center thing. I promise you, Jesus is this totally other thing that is absolutely different. Different king, different kingdom, different way. Let's look at this in a real life story. Anybody here in life ever go through something that's not fair? Yes. When you go through what is unfair, your purpose is in the crosshairs in that moment may not be your salvation, but it's your purpose. It's in the crosshairs of it. Jesus, over supper one day, tells Peter that he's going to deny him, not once, but three times. And Peter, like you and I, believes he is someone other than who he is. In other words, Peter hears Jesus say, you're going to deny me three times, but Peter chooses his own thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Peter does what we do. We go inward for self-definition rather than trust we are who God says we are. I will be the self-definition of who I say I am. Thank you very much. I will not deny you, even though all of these disciples around here, they may not me. I'm better than them. Really, it's what he says. Story goes, Peter actually finds out that he's not as strong as he thought. He denies Jesus three times. He weeps bitterly. He repents. Jesus is crucified. Peter thinks it's over. He goes back to the shore and begins to do what he did before he met Jesus. When he met Jesus, he was a fisherman. Now Peter is actually going back just to do what he knows. He feels he's blown it. He's messed it up. But Jesus met him one day on a shore. Jesus meets him again on another shore because God isn't just good. He's amazing. He meets him and he restores him in love. And it's an extraordinary story. Peter's repented and he restored and loved and he's affirmed in his calling and he is sent out from love with these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking to Peter now about his purpose. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, when you were older than you are right now, in the future, he is saying to him, You're going to stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Jesus says these words to Peter. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was going to glorify God with, I added with. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The same thing he said to him on the shore, he says to him again after restoring him love. He says, just keep following me. After saying to him, here's a sneak shot of your your future, Peter. Following me is going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. And in that moment, Peter turns. And what begins to rumble in his heart is, I don't deserve that. That's not fair. So watch what Peter does. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. This is from the book of John. So John's writing that about himself. Following them. John's awesome, by the way. So he turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved 
Everyone has one of them in their lives. Peter, John, John, Peter. Well, you know, the reason why you're going through that is you don't pray enough. Everyone's got that person. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them and the one who also had leaned back against him during the Last Supper and said to him, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw, when Peter saw him, which is the same in our parable, all was good until they saw one another. Until they all saw what they were getting from the vineyard, the landowner, everything was fine until they saw. When Peter saw, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Turn the person beside you and say, I don't like that, Jesus. (laughs) Put that on a poster of Jesus and hang that in your house. What is that to you? I don't don't want that one. I want the one that says I have a purpose and a destiny and a plan and prosperity. That's the one I like. What is that to you? You follow me. Ooh. What is Peter saying in this moment? Okay, I'm okay to follow you as long as everybody else's disciple has to die, including John. That's fair, then I'm good. As long as John has to die too, the beloved. The lovey-dovey guy over here who was once a son of thunder and now is this mush of love. As long as he has to die too, fine. Fine. I'm good with it. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. This is so important. Jesus doesn't tell Peter John's purpose. Side note. I think he should have. I think he should have said to Peter, Peter, don't worry about it. Yes, you're going to be crucified, but it's going to happen upside down. Ouch. Don't worry. But but, I know that's hard. But listen, John is going to be boiled alive. He's not going to die from it. That's worse. He's going to get worse. And then Peter would be like, okay, that's fine. I'll follow you. (laughs) Don't we do that? God, why are you blessing them? I'm doing the same thing as them. Why are they getting that and I'm getting this? And this isn't good. Whatever this is, not good in the story. It's definitely, this is definitely less than that. This is what he's saying. Now think about this in the moment. Peter has just denied Jesus. Been restored in love. You know what awaits Peter? Not just death. Peter is going to stand up on Pentecost and thousands of people who don't know Jesus in a day are going to become followers of Jesus. Peter on the day of Pentecost with the 120 is going to stand up and preach and the local church that we now know it is going to be birthed in that moment. We are saying all of these details about Peter's life, his successes and his failures, but ultimately Peter's life glorified God because we're speaking about it these thousands of years later and all we know about the guy at the beginning is he was rich. And what was the moment that arrested their development. It's not fair. Three traps 
that, that not, that's not fair looks like today and then is comparing, copying, and competing, which may I say, comparing, copying, and competing are the values of Canadian society today. So if you don't think this is not everywhere, it is. You can wake up and feel good about yourself until you load up Instagram and you see others and then you don't feel so good about yourself. Each has a trap, comparing, copying, or competing. Each trap has a singular shift, and that is they set our eyes on something other than Jesus, which we have already covered, and if it isn't Jesus, then it is inferior. In our parable today in the life of Peter, a symptom of this shift taking place within our own hearts is when our eyes are on others, we can no longer separate fairness from deserving In the parable, again, all was fine until the accounts were settled. For Peter, all was fine until he believed that he might be the only one who was going to lose his life for following Jesus. Then it began to grumble up within his heart. So, loved ones, what is Jesus saying? In the parable that he tells, he is anchoring you and I in this one, one truth. None of us are here by faith in Christ through merit. None of you are in the vineyard. None of you are saved. None of us followers of Christ through our intellect, our bank account, our gifts, our strength, whatever. None of us. An Old Testament prophet said it in the most terse way that the most righteous person in comparison to who God is, at best they are, is a filthy minstrel rag. That's not a goal to shoot for. Here's where it rubs. Because you may be listening today going like, well, I don't even think that's fair. Like, I know I'm not perfect. Okay, as humans... And I'll do it, and I'll, you'll catch me doing it. But as humans, if there's one redundant statement, it is this one. Look, at, I'm not perfect. Nobody thinks you are. <laughs> we say it all the time, though, don't we? Don't we? Look, at, like, I'm not perfect. Yeah, I got, like, I have files of evidence that proves you're not perfect. I... I <laughs> Some of you, if you lead anything and you walked into to your staff, you know, your teams tomorrow, and look, I just want to confess, I'm, I'm, I'm not a perfect leader. That is not a revelation <laughs> to them. It's an answer to prayer. They're like, thank God. Thank God he's finally recognized. She's finally recognized that they're not God's gift to the office. <laughs> you know, I'm, you mean you sit down for this news? This isn't a perfect church. You know why it's not perfect? Because you're here. (laughs) Now you get to turn it around. You know why it's not perfect? And then you say it to me. Now you know why it's not perfect? (laughs) 
so we're imperfect. But here's what we all are. We are all undeserving of the grace of God. Every last one of us are undeserving. Every one of us. See, see what Jesus is saying to a rich young ruler, it's the same thing he is saying to those at the highest in society and the lowest society. In God's kingdom, you are all bankrupt in and of yourselves. Every one of you is unemployed, whether you have the biggest bank account, the greatest title, or, what, or, the, or, the, or the youth. Every single one of us is bankrupt outside of the work of Jesus in our hearts and lives. Every single one of us today, when we woke up, earned nothing, but there was mercy available when our eyes opened, not because of our intellect, not because of how well we love one another or don't love one another, not because of we live in Canada, not because of this, not because of that. Every human being in every country, whether their country is a first world, we say, or a third world country, whether it's a country that's doing well or it's struggling, every single human beating heart in the world, the parable of the lander that we've looked at here, it says that we have a God who will go out in the morning, who will go out in the afternoon, who will go out in the mid-morning, who will go out at this time, and this time, and this time, and this time, and up until the 11th hour, that while there is a single breath in your body, you can receive his grace. Why? Because it's not on how you lived, it's on how Christ died. This is what it's based on. There is a single word that does not jive with the gospel and its deserve. Loved ones, we as the church need to learn how to tell our story. We tell such an inferior story. Is it a wonder why the world is plugging its ears and holding its nose? Let me tell you, if you choose to follow Jesus, whether you are single, married, divorced, wherever the stage of your relationship is, the moment you decide to follow Jesus, you receive a superior love than anything this world can give you. A love where you will never be left or forsaken. We tell this story, man, that it's like, if you don't have this type of love, then no, 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 no. That's all comparison copy. And the other C word I forget right now. <laughs> you know, I'm not perfect. <laughs> Loved ones. That's not fair. And I deserve if you're not careful, will destroy your purpose. It'll destroy your relationships. Look at between different genders, if we talk about sexuality, if we talk about different ethnicities, every nation, tribe, kindred, people, and tongue, there is diversity in the body of Christ and I know that there are problems and I'm not ignorant of them, I'm not dismissive of them, I'm not saying life is not always fair or even larger than that, that there's not inequality, there is. Yes, I understand all of these things, but the moment you and I become followers of Jesus, you know what we are? We're family, we're dysfunctional, but we're family and we work from family to be healthier in Christ and in God. 
versus the way in which we live in the world, which is, again, in or out, in or out, always achieving, always proving, always proving you measure up. Is it a wonder why people say Canadians are less religious? I say that is a lie. We are the most religious we've ever been, I think, in our history. You want to know why? We have different creeds, we have different beliefs, and we have a different God than God in Canada now, but we are powerfully religious. Go against the dogma and you will see how religious Canada is. You'll see it. But loved ones, we're the family of God. Oh yeah, we're dysfunctional, we've got work to do, but we're family. Okay, let's close. Sometimes God does his best work in us when life is unfair. And when life is unfair, you have an invitation. It is to trust deeper or to root in something different. This was the story of the parable of the landowner. They can trust in the goodness and the generosity of the landowner, or they can live grumbling one with another. This is the story of Peter. He could trust that though that day of my death is over there, it's not today. God, how do you want to use my life for your glory? We live thinking only what is right. As followers of Christ, we must look at what is right. Yes. But there is a higher calling to those of us as followers of Christ. Not only our rights, it is what honors God, which is the question of righteousness. When life is unfair, don't fall into the trap by shifting to a shortcut. Here's what I promise you. God's grace is going to find people who you don't believe deserve to be saved. God's going to give second chances to people who you don't believe deserve a second chance. Throughout all of our lives, that's not fair. And I don't say it flippantly. I say it with ache and pain because I too am not an expert telling you how to do this. I'm a fellow sojourner on the way whose heart gets caught in comparison and copying and whatever the third one is. I wish I could tell you I have this nailed. Cut me off in traffic and you'll see how entitled I am. (laughs) Step in front of me in a line and you'll see how entitled I am. Treat me unfairly and you'll see how much this needs to go in me as much as it is. Perhaps a word for you. Four questions and I'll stop talking. Are you living from a that's not fair spirit? Oh, here they are. Has competition, copying, or comparison made you stuck in life? Can you trust that God is working 
even when life is unfair. And like Peter, will you follow Jesus and from grace join God in the renewal of all things? Because loved ones, eternal life isn't fair, but oh, what a gift it is. Heavenly Father, I get how in the epistles followers of you earlier could say that we are the chief of sinners, the least deserving. And it's not from this like, you know, false piety God, like woe is me insecure place. It is from this revelation that my righteousness will just never be enough. But I thank you that you gave me a gift that I didn't deserve. That grace is not earned, it's received. Jesus, I thank you that your love took what I deserved and transformed it and gave me a gift that I could never earn. And so, Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here, whether we're online or here. Speak to our hearts. Change our lives. Era nombre de Jesús. Amen. Thank you.